Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey guys, if you're a regular listener, you already know about our partnership with Vestiaire Collective. That's right. Our favorite premium vintage online destination is offering a special exclusive discount to you, dear listeners. This time, whether you're already a Vestiaire shopper or not, you can enjoy a 35 euro or your local equivalent off a 250 euro or more purchase only in the nifty, swifty Vestiaire Collective app. Simply enter the code FNF35, that's FNF35 at checkout. You can find a link to Vestiaire's highly inspiring We Love section in this episode's show notes, fashionistas. And remember, vintage is a super sustainable way to shop. So get bidding. Hi, I'm Kemi Sharia. And I'm Monica Ainley. And you're listening to Fashion No Filter, where we sit down with some of the lead creatives, strategic thinkers, and emerging talent around us to interpret the ins and outs of the fashion industry today. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, don't be nervous. It's so <laughs> It's really weird. Do you get nervous when you have to um, tell people big news? Yeah. Yeah, so do I. I get really, really nervous. But guys, Cammy has big news for you. <laughs> You've probably seen it on 
Instagram, unless you live under a social media rock, you will be aware that Mademoiselle Charrière is getting married. I am, I am. <laughs> How do you feel? To be honest, I don't think I've come down from the stratosphere that I kind of shot up into when it happened because I was not expecting it at all. Wait, can you give us the um, exclusive on your engagement tale? If anybody was hoping to have a very, very intellectual and fashion centric episode today, I don't think that's what you're going to be yeah, getting. I don't think we're going in that direction. I think our back to school is going to be a lot of a, ram a bit of a ramble and a lot of gossip. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost quite shocking, not because, I mean, it's not shocking. It's not shocking when you take a step back if you've been with the person for a while and et cetera. But what I mean is, I think it's when you're aware that it's such a big moment and you're making such a massive life decision and it just casts you off guard, but you are aware of that. I'm not describing it very well, but it's a very intense feeling, isn't it? I mean, I, I was so, what's the word in English? I was so emotional touched emotional I, I don't really know what the word yeah I, I was so surprised that I couldn't eat at all I couldn't even have one spoonful of my food it was just I just couldn't swallow and therefore got incredibly drunk not purposefully I think I was just really nervous mm -hmm. and excited and we called my parents and the next day I regretted it I was really really I didn't feel great Okay, so I'm coming in hot with some questions here on behalf of the peanut gallery. Did you cry? Yes, a lot. I then also, we, I cried a lot. I cried when he proposed. I cried an hour later. I cried two hours later. <laughs> Did you cry when you spoke to your parents? Yes, yes, and they cried too. It was quite sweet because the, one of the first things I asked him was, does my dad know? And it's weird because I never realized that I was that kind of person that for me it was important for my dad to be asked before I did because I don't think of myself as that conservative but actually weirdly it was one of the first things that popped in my mind. So that was a actually a real question for me I thought about that at, at the time and I don't think that it's so much about you know some outdated anti-feminist father gives the daughter away thing for real. I mean, you and I have been quite liberated from the households of our fathers for some time, obviously, and independent. Uh, it's not that. It's just that I think if you're someone who get, gets into the concept of marriage in the traditional sense in the first place, which obviously you and I, you know, we're into it and we see the point of it. You want to go for all the traditions. I mean, not all of them, because some of them, again, are terribly outdated. But there's something quite sweet about involving your parents in different ways that I cherish. Yeah, I think it's also more than that. I, I don't know if it's because it's the first summer where I'm a little bit older and where we've been on holiday with a few of our friends who have babies, babies that are like one or two. I guess this is the first year where my friends have actually got kids that are small enough to kind of be away with us. Um, because when they're like totally tiny, like they don't, you don't travel, I guess. And I think it was also watching my friends with their, with their kids. And you realize, um, not that I didn't know this, but you, you really take in how dependent they are on you at that age and how you've kind of got them through the years of the nappies. And they're like, you know, that you literally can't even communicate. You're just like a little, your little blob of a person. <laughs> And obviously yeah. it makes total sense to me if you've grown up from that point and you've managed to get yourself to a, an, an adult who kind of wants to start its own family. I, to me, it suddenly dawned on me that that's why it's so important to involve the people that have been there for you your whole life. And that's obviously totally obvious, but I don't think it was until seeing my friends with their kids that I finally really kind of, mm. it was more than just like, oh yes, you have to do that because it's respectful and blah, blah, blah. No, it's also because- Well, dads have played a huge part as well in their daughter's lives. Or I know my dad and your dad have. And we're yeah, really sure. No, and, and I, I think obviously like the situation is different for lots of people and not everyone is lucky enough to have a dad. I mean, my, my, my fiance doesn't have any family anymore. So it's, I, I really do understand that we're, I'm very lucky to have a father who, who can be asked, but it's, 
it, it, it just surprised me that that was one of the first things that, that I cared about. Mm, but me too. On that note, I'm, I'm with you with the emotions. I'm here. Well, um, I have put together a short list of key tips for you. Uh, leading on from Susan Sarandon's original piece of advice that she gave to me about, well, shortly after I'd gotten engaged, I suppose, when we had that famous interview. Oh my God, that's one of my favorite things we ever did on this podcast was interviews. It was so wonderful. Should we play the clip when she gave Let's me? play the clip. Have fun. This is the advice I gave my daughter when she was picking out her dress. I said, because it's the same thing. You have to be comfortable in it oh, yeah. all night. So imagine you dancing in it. If you can't dance in it, don't get it. Yeah. Because you want to be able to last the whole evening. I'm a pretty crazy dancer. Too. There you Not go. a good dancer, just too crazy. <laughs> good advice. Right. So leading on from that, and I agree that was excellent advice, which I did take. Uh, I have put together three more key tips that I wish someone had said to me. Okay. The first thing is, this is an annoying and obvious one, but I personally can be a bit of a procrastinator. I'm not going to cast the first stone here, but let me just say, plan everything way earlier than you think. Worst case, you're done planning your wedding a month in advance and you can hang out and enjoy the excitement. Yeah, I've started to realize what a shit show it's going to be because to be honest, because of COVID and I feel really, I feel really um, kind of aware at what a difficult year all the couples that were planning on marrying this year have had. Um, having to postpone your wedding when you've put so much thought and planning into it and having to move it a year back and having to kind of like you know, like the momentum is kind of gone. Shout out to my dear friend, Catalina, who, and her fiance, Trevor, who <laughs> had to postpone their amazing wedding in Argentina in March. Yeah, my brother also had to postpone his wedding. And I just think that's a really difficult thing to have to do um, when you've obviously clearly spent a huge amount of money, but not just the money. I think also like all the energy that you put into picking it and making it perfect, you'd obviously have to start again because another year means a completely different set of dates. And, and obviously everybody's now scrambling to fill up all the weekends of 2021. So we're already seeing that there's going to be a huge backlog. So I think we're, we've kind of made the decision that we're going to leave that space for all the people who need to be able to get married in 2021. And I know that there are a lot of people in my life who've had to move their wedding. So I just don't want to be taking up that slot. So I think we're going to do June, 2022. I think that's the right call. And uh, sub point A to that original point one uh, would be that includes dress fittings. If you yeah. are having some. Oh, you mean get the dress on the go ASAP. If you are lucky enough to be having a one-of-a-kind dress made for you. Get the fittings going early, which I would never have thought of. And Louise Trotter, bless her heart, like forced me in there super early and stripped me down and started building a dress. <laughs> and I'm very grateful because it takes a really long time. Interestingly, I plan on pinching what was, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I've not actually managed to negotiate yet. I'm still in negotiation about this. But what I thought was one of the best features of your wedding was that for practical reasons, I think to do with visas, you guys had the civil ceremony in the winter, in December. Yes. And then you had the big wedding, the religious party, the big family event in September, the September after which meant that you had two sets of seasons for your outfits, meaning you've got the winter outfits for your civil ceremony and summery outfits for the big day. And I'm really into that. <laughs> the uh, fashion positives of that choice were not lost on me at the time. Also, you know, my close friends, including yourself, I like to think they enjoyed 
uh, getting dressed for two separate weddings. Some of them might contest that, but I'm going to go with the glass half full theory. I know I enjoyed myself and poor old Louise had a lot of designing to do, but she really pulled through and showed us the versatility of her creativity. So I, I think you should definitely do that. So when are you going to do your civil wedding? No, well, we don't know that yet. I'm still, he hasn't agreed to this. He thinks it's, um, he thinks that, um, it's okay. You can say I got it. I had to do it because of visa reasons. So Mark did have a choice. No, but that's what I mean. He thinks it sounds a bit, um, spoiled to, um, Mm. plan your wedding according to kind of outfits you want to wear. But the truth is now that we've actually had to sit down and look at dates for COVID reasons, um, I would not have chosen to have such a long engagement because I'm I'm no spring chicken (laughs) (laughs) and I would have been very happy with having just a year to plan a wedding I think it's it's enough time even though obviously I've heard that it's quite time consuming but um because we're not I think we're going to push it back I think in that case I would love to get married civilly in 2021 and then have another bigger wedding in 2022. I am down with that plan if you'd like my opinion i just love the idea of a wedding coat a really chic white coat i just for some reason i've got this in my mind and i know that you don't organize a wedding for the outfits but let's be honest like the outfits are pretty important this is huge deal huge deal one of the chicest weddings i've ever been to was in december in scotland in this old beautiful country house with um fires everywhere it was incredible that was laura and ron's wedding hi guys i'm sure you're not listening but it was amazing i mean all these things are just kind of fantasies in my head the truth is when we start planning we're probably gonna have to scratch all of this and and do things more pragmatically but for the time being i'm still just living the fantasy and because i've never really really thought about what i wanted to my wedding all these crazy thoughts are just all erupting in my brain at the same time and when i listen back to this episode in a few months or years i'll be like what the fuck was she thinking (laughs) (laughs) okay well that actually leads on really well to my second tip point two which is carve out a special time in the week that is wedding planning time Otherwise, I guarantee you, it will take over your entire life. I mean, I didn't do this at first. I didn't take this advice. And I was like, is this my job? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid Zoom has just mysteriously cut us off, which is perhaps a technical difficulty, but also perhaps a sign that we need to stop talking about weddings. However, I feel it's important that I give... Kemi, my last tip. So last but not least, I would tell every bride to remember to go to the loo before you go to the church. (laughs) Thanks. Great tip, Monica. I'll put it down. I'll jot it down right now in my wed minute. You will be surprised. People are really angling for your attention on that particular day. And I had to wee the entire time. Anyway, anyway, enough about my future wedding. Um, sorry if that was a ramble that you were not at all interested in. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, I think that they were interested, you'll find. I'm basing that entirely upon the number of messages that we got asking for a wedding episode when you got engaged. So we're not doing an entire episode about weddings, but we thought we'd start off there because it's fun and I find it riveting. But anyway, since it's um, the 1st of September today, second I think we September. Second of what is wrong with me? <laughs> because I'm back in quarantine, because, I'm, because I've just traveled home from, we, we lived in Paris, in, in, not in Paris, but we lived in France for three months over the summer so that I could be closer to my family and, and for other personal reasons. And I've had to quarantine since getting home because England imposes a quarantine for anybody that travels over from France, which to me, I don't really understand why certain countries. No, boo, boo. Yeah, it's also very frustrating because it also means that I can't go back to France because if I go back to France to see my family again, if I come back, I have to do two weeks again. Um, And it's it's just, yeah, it's it, it, it feels 
I mean, I know that you, Monica, have not been able to see your family for a really long time. Yeah. So I realize that I'm complaining for nothing, but it is difficult to feel like you're not allowed to go home. It definitely is. And now just to talk fashion news a little bit, this also means that fashion month, which is supposed to be starting around now, as we knew it and not necessarily loved it, or maybe did, is not really going to be able to take place in the same way because there's quarantines and travel restrictions. I've just heard from a reporter friend that she won't be traveling to Milan and Paris. I've heard other PRs. You know, you you, you hear whispers, but no one is actually saying, here's how it's going to go down. Um, unless in Paris has made an announcement that I'm not aware of. Um, so it seems like people are just going to have to... I would, there was a tweet by um, Lauren Sherman, which I thought was so funny and interesting. But she basically listed all the names of the brands in New York that were not going to be showing. And basically, it's all of them. They're doing like digital presentations and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was just like the list of people that were not showing was so long. It would have been quicker to just say the names of the ones that are. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, it's still a bit up in the air in Paris because I think because back in the spring, they did say that Paris Fashion Week was maintained for the time being. But I just don't see how we can expect the entire fashion community to get on a plane and come here. Okay, so she, Oh, no, it wasn't Lauren Sherman. It was Vanessa Friedman. Oh. And Vanessa Friedman says the official at New York Fashion Week schedule is out, not on it. Mark Jacobs, Ralph Lauren, Pierre Moss, Michael Kors, Oscar de Renta, Prenza Schooler, Telfer, Brandon Maxwell, The Row, Vakira, Christopher John Rogers, Betshiva, Prabal Guru. On it, Marquisa, question mark. Huh? So literally no one is on it. It's no one is showing in New York, which is a bit sad. I obviously know that for a lot of brands, there's a moral issue, but... At the end of the day, I, I, I think it also means that a lot of people will not be working because if you think about the uh, amount of people that make a show come alive, it's hundreds and thousands of people. So I think that's, it, it means that a lot of people are still going to be out of work, which I find quite depressing and hard. Well, this is the thing. And for all of our complaining about, you know, the way that Fashion Month is run. There are a lot of people that will be out of work. There are a lot of designers that will not be able to show their collections in the same way. So it's really brought up, and I know we've been over this on this podcast already, but it really is underlining the question I feel of who is Fashion Week really for and how much do we need it? And I think that that question will be easier to answer once we've been through one official ready to wear cycle without anything that resembles it as it normally is i also feel anybody who's interested in this should read that article um i'd linked it and then you linked to the audio um version of it yes the one which is called sweatpants forever even before the pandemic the whole fashion industry has started to unravel what happens now that no one has a reason to dress up by irina alexander which is such a brilliant article. It's so well put together and well-researched. I found it really explained why the fashion industry is completely broken. It's an entertaining read. It's not without, you know, attention to irony. <laughs> and I love the interviews with the Band of Outsiders guy. It's, it's very dead on, uh, although totally depressing. Well, depressing slash just like realistic. I think it's also fashion has been used to tricking people and the optics of it. You know, it's such a smoke and mirror industry where everything is kind of make-believe and PR'd. And I think we're just realizing now how many brands kind of were operating, were operating at a loss basically. And that now that there's no cash flow, they're not going to survive. I, I mean, devastatingly I've heard, and I hope this is not true, but I don't want to be spreading rumors about brands that I'm very passionate about, but I've heard that the row are going to be closing all ready to wear and keeping accessories only because they cannot afford it. No, I've got it from pretty a pretty reliable source. That is not who I was expecting you to say. I mean, surely they've got some full house money. Here. No, because they've had the issue of investing in brick and mortar. They've got those 
I think three incredibly expensive um, stores that must operate on a crazy expensive lease. And now obviously no one is shopping in store and an experience of a, of a physical uh, place to shop is no longer the, the smartest investment. And for them, that was their whole marketing strategy. So, well, listen, I mean, that is so depressing. If it can happen to Mary Kate and Ashley, I don't know how any other designers have a hope in heck. Well, no, but it's just like, you think that they have, like they were so backed and, but then again, like the brand is so expensive. I mean, who is buying? I've always loved it so much and I just, I do sometimes indulge in. I love it too. And I say this, like I realize so how yeah. privileged it sounds because I, re I really fully understand how expensive those clothes are. But I have sometimes bought an accessory, a bag or a pair of shoes, and I still have, I still have them. But I've never managed to buy ready to wear. It's just too expensive. There's a coat that I really love that was at eight thousand pounds. That's about five times my rent. <laughs> So do you think that they're just, I just don't think that there's enough of a customer there in these places. No, they, I just don't think anybody can afford that kind of, and this is the other thing. Do they adjust honest. their prices in their production? I mean, uh, but then. I don't know. This is where I think brands need to be more intelligent post COVID. I think the idea of a more fair pricing system, because I think the fashion industry has become too expensive. It, the clothes, luxury, luxury clothes are just too expensive but they would say that those clothes are worth that because of the way no they're, they're not though they're, they're you're paying for marketing budgets and other things that are to do with the brand image and we all know that like because of the sales system people often now wait until a brand is discounted before investing anyway because it's just no one can buy things at full price and there are other brands in a similar category friends of this podcast to whom i would say the same oh People that we've had on, you think? I think that there are, I think there is like a whole category of brand. Tragically, it is the kind of design that I absolutely love, but that made sense even like two, three years ago, because people would consider spending that much on fashion. And I think that we just are taking the temperature right now. And I, this is not to encourage fast fashion. No, there's a huge difference between buying high street fast fashion and spending eight thousand on a coat yeah there's and and there, there should be middle ground of brands that are here here that are well made transparent ethically priced um and that kind of don't rip off the con the consumer which I, I when i go and buy something from a luxury store nowadays i really definitely feel like a fashion victim i know i'm being stupid I, I still sometimes do it because I do still love clothes, but I do it less and less. And the reason I do it less and less is because I fully understand that there is no real difference between an 150 pound shirt and a 500 pound shirt. There just isn't. So why are the brands, some of these brands that we love the designs, why, let's be honest here, why are they marking it up that much? Like sometimes I try and explain this to, you know, I, I try and I, I, I really don't know. I think there's a lot of external costs, like, for example, putting on a fashion show, which is an outrageous expense, but that gives you the visibility and the positioning of a luxury brand. And which now that social media exists and that we're sharing everything anyway, is potentially not the best way to invest your cash, I think, personally, especially because to stand out, a fashion show would have to be really exceptional nowadays. Most of the time you forget it the second you've left it. And that sounds disgusting of me to say, but it's the truth. Probably because they're also like just, um, you know, all back to back to back to back, city after city after city. And like you, you, you end the day and you're like, I don't even know what I've seen. And I've actually enjoyed Fashion Month more the seasons where I was injured and couldn't go to the shows and had to watch it all from online. I remember feeling like I was more in tune to what was going on. And I, I was soaking in the stuff a lot better because I was going and looking and reading the You have perspective. Yeah, for sure. But also I would just, I would question that because yes, certainly there are crazy overheads, especially for band, brands that show in these sort of intricate, beautiful shows, et cetera. But isn't there a sort of catch-22 of vanity involved as well? Like, I just don't... Oh, you mean like you're spending the money so that you can say that you own an item of that brand? A hundred percent. But let's keep going on the $8,000 uh, coat. Let's talk 
about a coat that's 2,000 pounds. 2,000 pound coat, which is still really, really expensive. A 2,000 pound coat is, is more than my rent. And that is a silly amount of money to spend on an item of clothing, even if at the end of the day, you've got at the back of your head that it's an investment and that you're going to keep it and blah, 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 blah. I still think it's a silly amount of money on a garment. Exactly. But you and I, you know, send each other screen grabs of amazing looks from the row or kite or even, you know, like totem. Sometimes I want to buy really, it's not that expensive totem, but it's still aspirational for some of the product no it is very expensive like if you, if you think about what an expensive brand is i mean i think the brands that you would consider non-expensive and they're still expensive for most are brands like rouge and musier and and reformation that's kind of in the bad books but it's a good example because everybody knows the pricing of a dress sure. about like 100 pounds for a dress that's still considered like it's still an amount of money that you're like sure. Sure. It's still more than Zara and, you know, Zara are making trendy stuff. So, you know, why are people aspiring to more expensive clothing? And I genuinely think that these super streamlined, chic, great taste brands with incredibly elegant women at the head of them and respect to those women with incredible fashion sense and design prowess. But I hear you on what you said earlier, just bringing it full circle. I think that they need to rethink their pricing a little bit because I don't think that aspiration alone, and of course there's the quality behind it, but there's you know a couple grand worth of aspiration thrown into the price there. And I don't think that it's gonna stand anymore uh, post COVID, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think that uh, Robin Given said it so well. Yeah in the previous um, anti-racism series in her episode where she was chatting to Henrietta and where she says that it's very difficult for the general public to kind of get behind um, the fashion industry and, and, and understand the workings of it because for, for, for most people, it's unconceivable to spend that amount of money on an item of clothing. Mm -hmm. So like they just feel completely disconnected to it. Mm -hmm. operates in a totally in, in its totally own bubble and it's only the one percent that can afford the clothes anyway so is this fashion's you know safety escape is this the only open door left for the fashion industry is to i mean the fashion industry just them. needs to learn how to not be elitist i think this is the other thing is that up until now and that point that you make is so true there's part of it which i think in the fashion industry you find a lot of people who were misfits growing up and who went into the fashion industry because it gave them a place to exist and to feel part of something. But then once they get there, they kind of create this very exclusive club where no one else has felt- It's almost payback. But it really is. I've, I've tried to analyze why people in fashion are perceived as so mean. And I genuinely think there is this culture of like making you feel like you can only belong if you are a certain kind of person, which is bullshit. Everybody, everybody can be part of it, you know? God, it's so true. It's all of these like super chic people who are almost a bit eccentric, who are bullied and now they're doing the bullying. Yeah. And I don't think people are not necessarily doing it on purpose. I think when you are a misfit, and I think I was definitely that. I think that you're so insecure that you just, you project your insecurity on the others. So even if you don't think that you're, you're necessarily being mean, sometimes when you find yourself in a situation where you feel awkward, you act awkwardly. Right. And so people perceive you as being rude or mean when in fact all it is is that you feel weird and you're, you're being weird anyway. This, it's get, no, getting that's, that's really interesting. I actually was like a really normal kind of like sporty kid at school. I wasn't particularly eccentric in any way. And so sometimes I'm like, who are these people that I'm hanging out? And I don't always understand, but I do appreciate their genius. I think this is a good segue into the next section because I really want us to answer some of our uh, listener questions because we sent out uh, we sent out a story yeah let's at the beginning of the summer asking you um, for your questions and one of them was by a girl called Nina 
Ajnira, and she says, do you ever feel like you are not in fashion? And if so, how does that make you feel? Should I answer first? Because I kind of just started talking about that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not. I'm not in fashion. Like, I'm not trendy. I, can, I, I sort of vaguely acknowledge trends in some of the ways that I dress. With some of my, you know, I mean, let's go with, like, accessories choices. I'm aware of the trends. I analyze them in my work. Like, I know about them. I promise I do. No. <laughs> but I just, it's not the way. First of all, I always think that if I, because of the way that my body is and the way that I look, I just think that I look, it just doesn't look right on me when I'm dressed really trendy. Whereas it does look really cool on you. I prefer to have a uniform that I've honed over the years, uh, which develops. I'm not saying I wear the same exact thing as I did five years ago, but it's not that different. And it's not that different to wear what I wore 10 years ago with the caveat that I could afford slightly less uh, high quality perhaps. I don't, I just don't, I, this is not something that actually worries me. What about you? Uh, I think this is a very good question because I feel the opposite. And I think that this comes with the caveat that I am much more of a fashion victim than you are. And I always have been, but that as time has gone on, when I feel like I'm in fashion, when I know that I'm wearing an outfit that is trendy or that I'm wearing the latest like Bottega Veneta square toe sandals, I feel a bit stupid. And I didn't used to feel like this, but weirdly, whereas before I used to kind of want to have that it item that was trending in the season, blah, blah, blah. The few times that I've indulged in my compulsions, the few times that I've indulged in my compulsions and bought something that I know is kind of perceived as the it item, it pair of shoes, it bag of the season, I have regretted it because when I wear it, I feel stupid. God, you're so hard on yourself. But it's weird. You make that stuff look so good, though. But it's weird because I think I used to, when I was younger, I used to, I think there is something in fashion about wanting to be part of a tribe. You know, there are different kinds of girls who work in the industry. There are like the minimalists. There are the maximalists. There are the, the girls that are super fashion forward, the girls that more um sportswear you know like the industry is composed of a lot of tribes and i think for a while i kind of knew what tribe i was in and wanted to be part of and as i've got a bit older i'm less and less interested in that and more and more interested in style and i think it's fashion and style are two incredibly different things incredibly different and i'm really really kind of i mean it's it's taken a long time so this is not a new thought but i really do see the difference in the things that I keep wearing again and again and again, the things that I buy because I think I think they're going to make me feel good. And I realize after wearing them once or twice that actually it really is like a drug. Like, you know, you wear it once, you think you look really cool and then you don't gravitate towards it at all when you're, when you're putting together outfits on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's the problem with fashion is that you are told what's cool and then things become trendy on Instagram or whatever. And because you see something often, you decide that you want it because you kind of, you know, like, I think that's how marketing works. The the more often you see something, the more suddenly you want to be part of that. And thankfully, the older I get, the less a part of that I want to be. And the more I want to make sure that I don't buy new things, that I don't like invest in the trends, that I don't like fall for the traps. And so that's why I thought it was such a cute question, because I feel so guilty now. And I think you are right. I am quite hard on myself, but I also know that it's because we said it before, like these items of clothing are often really overpriced and I don't really want to be putting my money right. into the hands of brands that are kind of taking the piss. This leads me to something else though. I occasionally work with one high street brand. I'm not going to name that brand because I have a great longstanding relationship with them and people know who follow me what that is. I have personally looked in, I've gone to the very top of the brand and looked into things that they've been accused of during COVID and before. And they honestly, out of all high street brands, are making the biggest effort. I morally disagree with the idea. And I know that we've talked a great deal about sustainability on this podcast, and I believe in sustainability. However, I do not believe that a high street brand that creates classic quality clothing 
that you can wear for years to come, as I do, is categorically unsustainable because it's not all about trends. I understand the brands that are just about chasing trends and that's a different thing. And they're putting out a different collection twice a week. And that is reprehensible in a lot of ways because it's like inciting people to obsessive shopping. But I do think that there are some lower priced uh, brands out there that need to exist because hello, let me remind everyone that not everyone can um, afford to buy more expensive clothing. And, well, most people can't. Uh, most people. And I don't understand why they should be ignored by um, visible people in the industry like you and I. And, you know, I know that you occasionally work with some lower price brands as well. I also think it's important for people who are quote unquote categorized as high fashion, you know, leaders or whatever it is like you and I to show how more affordable clothing can be mixed into that. You know, this we're talking about this kind of snobbery and, you know, self-perpetuating circle of, of like weirdness basically exists. And yet I, I'm sorry, but I'm personally attacked when I try and show some other options. And I think that people need to like take- No, but I think that's also because like, the, 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 often what comes with those, some of the lower price brands is that there are ethical- I know, um, but, but people assume the that there are as well when there aren't necessarily. And no, there aren't necessarily, not definitely not all brands, but some brands definitely have questionable- Oh, of, obviously, I, of course. And we've talked about that so many times. And, you know, if it's not one thing also, it's another. I mean, so many brands have also been accused of acting wrong in terms of um, racism as well recently. And they deserve to be accused of that. But I mean, ultimately, somebody who is on a budget um, and wants to, you know, look stylish, I think it is our moral responsibility to take that person into account as well and show them different ways that aren't necessarily just chasing these totally irresponsible new collection every minute, unsustainable brands. That is my rant that i but like but i think like both of us wouldn't have the wardrobes neither of us would have the wardrobes that we have unless we worked in fashion like most of the of things not. Expensive have either been gifted to me by a brand or because i work in the fashion industry i have press discounts from amazing um e-coms and stuff and i do, i fully realize how privileged that makes me and i also sometimes question whether one of the reasons that I went into fashion in the first place is because I'm so obsessed with clothes and how they <laughs> make me feel that I, I knew that I couldn't afford them going down the regular route and that I needed to find a way to, to be able to get them at a discount, which is most people, most girls in fashion do not buy full price clothes. Yeah, let's just be very clear. Like as soon as you have, I'm gonna throw this out there. I'd say as soon as you have, it's not a rule, but like over 15K followers, you basically could just like not buy clothes anymore if you didn't want to. No, but I, it's not even about clothes. I think, any, I think anybody in fashion, anybody in fashion will have a friend who's got a discount at Celine or who's got a discount at, I don't know, matches, whatever. Like but I'm think- not even talking about discounts. I'm talking about free clothes all the time with brands like throwing them at influencers, which is, I'm not spitting on, it's absolutely glorious for those of us who are lucky enough. But I mean, I I think that we need to like clear that up because this podcast is supposed to be about honesty. And I just want people to be totally aware of the extent to which people with followers on Instagram are being gifted. No, 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 it's a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent the case. And I think you are right. You could like, because having, a following presents such a high currency in the current climate, fashion climate, marketing climate. I think you are right. We can, you could easily go through life without having to spend much on your clothing budget, even though you, even if you have new things on a regular basis. And it's something that I've been trying to be really transparent about as well. Like I traveled to France for the summer with one suitcase because I thought I was just leaving for two weeks. And then because of COVID and the rules and because I wanted to see my parents and I didn't want to have to like quarantine again and wanted to be near them, we made the decision not to go back to London. It just felt irresponsible to be going back and forth. So we 
we lived at my par- at my boyfriend's house, which is uh, in Biarritz. Um, I know a lot of people thought I was on holiday for a really long time. I wasn't actually on holiday. I was actually just living from there, working from there. But the truth is, because I didn't have my stuff with me, I borrowed summer clothes from brands that I have the that I'm lucky enough to be able to work with, and therefore didn't have to go and buy a whole new set of clothes that I hadn't brought with me. And again, I realized that that is privilege, and that practically. I mean, it's people seeing new things constantly on my Instagram would be forgiven for thinking that I'm just like constantly promoting and wearing new things when actually that's just not the case. And I realize that that's something that I'm really trying to work on and be more transparent and and trying not to accept all the freebies and the loans because it actually is also creating a model for people around me who think that actually like it's okay to need and want new things all the time. And I'm still working on that because even though I don't buy as much as I used to, and I definitely am shopping mainly vintage nowadays, Vestiaire Collective and other platforms. Great plug. I like what you did there. Yeah, but it's, it, it is the truth. Yeah, I know. Um, I also know that I'm incredibly lucky because my, my my thirst for trying new things or wearing a beautiful dress, I do manage to quench it by borrowing. But my tip would be, there are now websites where you can borrow clothes, like Buy Rotation is one of them. Uh, Rent the Runway is another. And I do know with COVID, that's a little bit, mm, it, you know, do you really want to rent something that's come from another household? So I do realize no, I don't that. think COVID can live that long. <laughs> like it can. That's the, it doesn't. Isn't that the point? It lives on surfaces. It's clothes. But how? But how long? Well, two weeks. Isn't that the? I oh, know. Maybe I can't remember. Two. No, I don't know. <laughs> Please don't quote me on that. But I know that like there is, there are um, uh, reasons to be careful about that. But then there's also your friends. I think that borrowing and we've said this before i borrowed a black outfit from monica when i had to go to my fiance's mother's funeral in the winter because i didn't have an elegant enough black outfit with me and i was in france for the holidays and it happened unexpectedly and monica kindly let me come into her wardrobe and borrow something really chic and appropriate and i gave it back afterwards and i think that that is also a really smart way of making your wardrobe seem like you have more options. Absolutely. I love doing that. And we do it from time to time when we can get organized between the two cities. And I do it with some friends here in Paris too. And my sister and I have always done that. And it's so much fun. My sister is going to write to me after listening to this episode and be like, you mean that theory dress that you took from me two years ago and never gave back, but We'll talk about that later, Emma. I, I realize that we've gone on a proper rant yeah. instead of like answering questions. Shall I ask you another question? Absolutely. I just want to, I've been Googling how long COVID oh. can live on different kinds of surfaces. And I just thought I would update Tell us. listeners. So according to WebMD, a favorite website of mine, metal, five days, wood, for example, furniture or decking, four days, plastics, Examples, milk containers, detergent, bottles, subway bus seats, backpacks, elevator buttons, two to three days. Stainless steel, for example, refrigerators, two to three days. Cardboard, 24 hours. Copper, four hours. Aluminum, two to eight hours. Glass, but where are the clothes? Oh, food. It doesn't seem to spread through food. Well, that's emergency. What about wool? Is there wool? Cotton. Okay, fabrics, examples, clothes, linens. There's not much research about how long the virus lives on fabric. Oh, great. Thanks a lot. But it's probably not as long as hard surfaces. Okay. But if you'd like to know about your shoes, whether COVID is alive on your shoes, I can tell you this. One study tested the shoe soles of medical staff in Chinese hospital intensive care units and found that half were positive for nucleic acids from the virus. But it's not clear whether these pieces of the virus could actually cause infection. The hospital's general ward, which had people with milder cases, 
was less contaminated than the ICU. Well, that makes sense. Anyway, it's all a bit spooky. Be careful. Maybe just if you're buying secondhand clothes, I'd just say just give them a bit of leeway time. My mom used to stick um, when she got us new hats. She This is going to tell you a lot about our household. <laughs> but she used to put new hats in the freezer because she believed that it well she had read from a reputable source like webmd uh <laughs> that it killed any potential head lice that may be crawling around because she did not want the three of us to get lice and spread it to each other that's also the way you kill moths well you're kidding yeah you put all your jumpers in the freezer because it's the only way to get rid of them and then you go and wash them but only once they've been in the freezer for a couple of days well there you have it i feel that this is a very useful episode of fashion no filter <laughs> yeah let's keep telling ourselves that <laughs> <laughs> okay next question okay next question what advice would you give to a teenager who wants to go into the fashion industry <sighs> okay all right i'm going to give my usual answer People, this is like my teenage self thinks that I am so annoying for giving this answer, but I really believe this. Here we go. Get an education and then decide, like do everything you can to get a really solid university education and get educated in fashion maybe or something else. So you learn to learn and you learn to work hard. And then when you graduate from university or college, then decide if you're going into the fashion industry. But I suppose that can only go for people who are in countries where university doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Because for me, university in France was free because that's the country that I grew up in. But I suppose you don't want to go and in debt yourself by going to university in the US to go into fashion. Well, I don't know. Um, look, I am not writing off the abhorrent situation for many people who will have to indebt themselves which I am incredibly lucky that I did not. But I've just, I've seen people be convinced about fashion and not round themselves out. And I don't think it's a good life choice. I just don't. I think the way I would answer that in that case, I will just make it really personal and subjective and just talk about my own personal experience because I get asked a lot whether I regret having studied law and whether Has I would anyone ever regretted do... studying law is the question. I just get a lot of questions from a few of my younger followers who often DM me asking whether if I had to do it again, whether I would redo law or whether I would choose instead to go to, I don't know, journalism school or study, I don't know, history of history of art or fashion. And I have zero regrets. I personally loved studying law. I found it to be an incredibly enriching and interesting topic. You learn about the foundations of society and you also, it teaches you a way of thinking and arguing and rationalizing, I guess. And I also feel that I probably wouldn't have had the same outlook on the fashion industry if I hadn't done that. So I, even though I feel that I'm massively lacking in some areas of fashion because I just haven't, I've had to teach myself all of that. But you can learn on the job, that's, I believe. Yeah, I do, I, I agree with you. I actually think that sometimes like being taught to think in a certain way was more useful than having all that knowledge that I then just could go and research myself on Google or at the library or whatever. And I think that's something that, to make the answer about what the question was, I think if the question is would I have, done again the studies that I did, even though I knew that I was going to go into fashion and not use my bar exam, etc. Yes, I would do it again. And I think that actually it is very enriching to go and learn about those kind of those kind of topics. So I think you're right, Monica. It's go and study what you find interesting and then perhaps look at a career. In it's just that studying and look again, even my degree that I chose to some extent comes from a place of privilege because my undergraduate degree was English literature and French lit at Edinburgh, you know, read into that what you will. Now I had to work very hard to get into that program, but it's a luxury to be able to study that. However, I did and I learned so much about how to put my thoughts together and 
you just gain a whole depth of knowledge about the world and you also have a great time and you get to geek out a bit and I just wouldn't trade the experience for the world. And then I just, because I get in, get asked this question as well. So I will just explain that I then immediately after did a master's in international broadcast journalism um, at City University in London, which I've mentioned before on this podcast, which taught me the uh, specifics and the ropes about basically doing what we're doing right now, but also in a more structured environment, like as if you were about to sort of funnel right into the uh, BBC World Service, which is a great life skill to have if you know that that's what you want to do. I just, I have always, and this is not bashing fashion school, but I've always personally enjoyed coming at fashion from a slightly different angle. And I believe that to be partially formed by my education previously to going into the fashion industry. I don't know if you would agree with that, but I think you probably will. Yeah, I think like the other bit of advice that we could give is um, perhaps don't focus just on social media. Yeah. I feel like social media is a very saturated space. And whereas it was a really good entry point when I kind of arrived in fashion, it felt like sort of arriving through the back door and skipping all the internships. And that's that was how I did it then. Now I feel like kind of everybody the back door is open and everyone's like pushing to get yeah kind of and I almost feel that like if you want to stand out maybe it's worth like dming a few people that you admire in the industry seeing if they need an intern seeing if they need an assistant you know I, I I'm just still convinced that although social media is great it's not the real world and yes you can make money on there a hundred percent but it's it's a career that has a lot of negative aspects to it even though we don't talk about them all that often and i think that being anchored into the real world is very important for us to be happy yeah, and we've seen with COVID, and i just think that if you're particularly interested in fashion although it's incredible especially if you're younger because i do feel like the generation beneath us are far more fluent in technology than we ever were and you're definitely better than us, better than us at everything that's to do with social media. I still think that to stand out, having a great social media account is kind of not enough. I think if you really want to like make waves, look, go and look to talk to the kind of people that you admire. And I think you'd be surprised how many of them would answer right. back if you send them a really like honest message about what you're trying just to just have some other great skill that you bring to the industry other than just being great at social media because unfortunately that can't and yes cam you got in through the back door through social media except that you're like a great communicator hence your journalistic career now i'm sorry but it's not like you're just here because you're like great at instagram no but i do i'm reading all the articles about how tiktok stars who are like barely 16 are already like making over three million in revenue just from doing dancing videos and i think that's really incredible no, and for sure. wow but it's not that's not going to be the case for most i think if you focus your career on trying to be insta or tiktok famous because you can see that that's a solid stream of revenue i don't think it's the right way to approach a career that's what I'm trying to say. And I'm not saying that because you can't earn money. I definitely think with a good visual identity and, and you definitely can quickly gain followers on, on, on social media, but it, for the, like a long standing career that's going to bring you joy and challenge you and, and all these different things, I think it's also important to work on other aspects of your, of your career as well. Totally agree with that. Is your thing that you're a great photographer? Are you a great graphic designer? Do you know how to draw and sketch and do fashion illustration? Are you a presenter? You know, Instagram is giving you the opportunity to actually speak on, you know, three different video mediums, depending on the length of what you have to say. Uh, just within Instagram, are you great at communicating about brands? Maybe you should go into PR, but you can show all of those different skills through Instagram, but hone a skill. That's, that's all I'm trying to say. On that note, I think we need to say adios. I also wanted to quickly use this episode to remind everyone, if you haven't done so, 
because I do know that we put it out in the middle of August, which for some people, probably not che checking their podcast. Yeah, because a lot of people listen, apparently I'm realizing, uh, so when people listen on their commute to work or back home from work, so you may well have missed it. Well, that's why I just wanted to give you like a, a gentle reminder, as they say, to take the time to really listen to the three episodes that we put out during the summer, which was kind of intended as a an anti-racism expose, I guess, like just the idea was to give a voice to some of the women that we really have admired in the industry. And we handed over the mic to Henrietta Galina. I just know that um, the conversations was so uh, interesting and added so much value to my own thought process and the ways in which I understand the world and my industry. I would really recommend taking the time to get lost in them because I think they really do have a lot of value. Here, here. Right. So guys, here ends the season of fashion, new fashion. No, it was a good season full of, there were some highs and lows and there was some serious content and there was some very silly content, uh, but we've enjoyed having all of you with us and we are both going to be working on a couple of other projects, but we'll be back at some point. As always, we'll see you next season. As Monica said, it's been, I think one of my favorite seasons so far. It's been so enriching. I don't think people realize this, but we didn't actually take a break this summer because we were working on the on the three-part series. So we are taking our summer break now, which is a bit weird, <laughs> but um, that's how we're doing it. And we will be back soon. Uh, hopefully the world will be a little bit more normal. Uh, navigate. Yeah, normal. We still don't know what's going to go on uh, with the shows. So hopefully by the time we're back, we know we know a little bit more. And thank you so much again for tuning in and um, listening to the rambling. I think this episode was very personal yeah, one. We feel like you're <laughs> our friends now, so. See you next season. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.